0: Hello and welcome along to the RT Rugby Podcast, where the Interpros are coming thick and fast now. The URC is really heating up. Leinster beating Munster on Saturday in a brilliant game at the Viva Stadium. Connacht hosting Leinster at a sold-out sports ground this Saturday. Then we're into Europe. More Interpros over Christmas, more Europe in January, and then a uh, a well-needed weekend off for a lot of people. But joining us on this week's podcast, Bernard Jackman, as usual, And I'm also delighted to welcome former Connacht prop J.P. Cooney onto the pod. J.P., great to have you on board this week.
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Neil. Um, Some exciting games coming up.
0: Yeah, there is. And uh, we'll start by actually just going back over last week's big one at the Aviva Stadium. Uh, Leinster 21, Munster Munster 16. We'll talk specifically about the, the smaller parts of this and Leinster's performance and Munster's performance, Birch, as we go along. But to start off with, I just thought this entire game was so much fun. It had everything you'd want in an interpro. Fifty thousand people watching it. Most of the big internationals were playing. Skill level was top quality. There was bite. It went down to the wire. Had absolutely everything, and I just thoroughly enjoyed those eighty minutes. That's just what I want to say to kick things off, Birch.
2: Yeah, look, and I agree. I, I had a few gr- people grumbling saying it wasn't a good game. I I really enjoyed it. Obviously, look at if you're a Leinster fan, you're you're probably disappointed with some of their skill. Uh, skill sets and, and breakdown uh work, and particularly in in the 22. After they they had momentum, uh, I'm thinking of the Jack Crowdy turnover and the John Hodder turnover. But and obviously there was a, a little bit of wayward passing at times. But in general, it was a, a a proper proper Irish derby. And you know, speaking to some friends of mine who work in the media uh in the UK and in France, they're just blown away by the the fact that we can get 50,000 people. Uh, to a game, you know, what, four or five weeks after the World Cup. And um, uh, provincial rugby has, has just bounced back into, into gear. And it's not just that game. Like, I've been lucky enough to be down in Tolmand. um, You've been down in sports ground. Like, it's 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 kind of built up really nicely again. And there's obviously unbelievable talent on the field. Some of them players like Caelan Doris and Jack Conan, um, you know, Tyburn. Uh, that we know a lot about, um, and then there's there's new kids starting to develop um, and and show. And obviously the out half it was a real chance for Jack Crowley to to go head to head with Ross Byrne That didn't happen because of injury. But then we saw him go head to head with Kieran Frawley, and Frawley Frawley really grasped his opportunity as well. So um uh you know you, you, Craig Casey taught it very well when he was on the field, and then Connor came on and added to it. Um. Yeah, I, I thought Porter, Porter and Archer had an unbelievable ding dong at scrum time, um, which is fascinating in its own right, and I'd be interested in JP's, uh, feelings on, on that. But yeah, there's loads of little things. and Tog, that's uh Thomas O'Hearn at six, and, and and being very comfortable. Zebo being back, um, and playing very well. Uh, yeah, and, and the game at the game at the death, obviously, when Conor Murray made that break up the left wing, you're thinking, Munster going to basically rob Rob Leinster again. Um, like they did like win the game late uh, like did in the semi-final and then at the end Leinster are pushing for that bonus point which is nearly part and parcel of what they do every week in the ORC and Ty Byrne gets an unbelievable turnover to deny them it.
1: So um yeah, I know I loved it. I thought it was great.
2: Yeah,
0: as a- go ahead, go ahead, Jimmy.
1: I was just gonna say, Neil, as as a spectacle within Irish rugby, I mean like Munster and Leinster is you know one of the one of the old rivalries within within the within the game here in Ireland. And um I think it's great for the game, it's great for the sets of fans. Um, you know, that that rivalry seems to have closed um recently in the last couple of years. Obviously enough, Munster dominated it for a long time within the nineties and early two thousands and Leinster dominated. Um Munster maybe haven't been as as close in the contest over the last, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years. Um so it is great as as a spectacle from from I suppose from a neutral, um, from a neutral spectator, it is great to see, you know, that specific game, that specific fixture being a lot tighter. Um, it just does great wonders for the sport, you know, that that you can get fifty thousand people to come to a, come to a game like that and, and thoroughly enjoy it. I know what Birch was saying there. Yeah, there is probably Leinster fans that you know may not be happy with certain you know, inaccuracies throughout their game. But overall, I think everyone else that was watching it thought it was a great game, a fantastic game to watch.
0: Yeah. And like, as you said, it it did feel for a few years and it was I think this specific phrase was used that it felt like when a lot of when Munster were coming up against Leinster in the last few years, that they were shrinking a little bit. They almost felt beaten before they went out there. You could see off the back of that win in May how much has changed that they just went out straight away and took it to Leinster right from the first minute. To focus on Leinster-Birch, um, and we'll get back to Munster later on in the podcast, but to focus on Leinster, you have a, like both of you were saying, they will, they'll be frustrated about elements of their attack. They probably had more players that looked a little bit off the pace compared to Munster did. But if you're flipping it around to positives, where in the past we've always talked about Leinster coming flying out of the gates to start a season, like... They, they they will be they will still be confident that these players can find those extra gears over the next few months.
2: No, no, hundred percent. Um, and like it was uncharacteristic of of Hugh O'Keen and um, you know, to to and not Hugh be King accurate. And Brian as well, and Brian as well. So, um, there's no there's no major issue. They they just would have loved to put Munster away, you know, convincingly. Because I think it just gives Munster renewed hope. You know, when you saw the two teams on paper to go back to back. Traveling to Dublin and winning one, being very competitive in the other, um, you know, increases their confidence, I think. And I think that trophy, we all felt that trophy could be a turning point. Um, not just beating Leinster the semi-final, but going and, and winning it then in in, um, in Cape Town uh, could be a turning point for Munster. And they're starting to develop, uh, you know, some really exciting players. And, and uh, not developing, they've been, you know, we've known about Hodney, we've known about Tom O'Hearn. um Etc. We know about Craig Casey. We know about Jack Crowdy for a while, but they're now they're now very comfortable up against the best in Ireland. And um, uh, and you think there's more growth in them. So what well, Roundtree and as coaches have done there is is, um, is very impressive. And I think Irish rugby needs you know needs four strong provinces really. But um, you know that Munster Leinster rivalry um, commercially as much as anything else is really important for the game to be able to you know give. Munster, whatever, 25,000 people in, in Tolman Park, you know, when, when Leinster played away, and obviously for Leinster to get a full house the other night is um, is phenomenal. One of the...
0: We've spoken about the criticism of the rivalry in recent seasons, that it people might have said that it felt like some of the newer players coming through weren't really having a, a full appreciation for what a Munster-Leinster rivalry was because of how one-sided it had become. Um, I look at someone like Joe McCarthy the other night, I I get the feeling that guy does not like Munster because he was properly at it. And if you were a Leinster fan, he was one of the big positives I think you were you were taking away. We've, JP, like we've known about his size and stuff for a couple of years now that he's been on the scene, but you can really start to see him throw it about the place and play ever so slightly on the edge. Sometimes he's going a little bit beyond it and he probably gets away with it. And that's something referees are going to be looking at. But... Probably in the last six months or so he's really looked like someone who is starting to throw his weight around the pitch.
1: Yeah. Um no error on the side of caution here in my next comments, but playing playing on that edge is exactly what you want out of a big physical lock. Um, you know, dishing out physicality in the breakdown, um, in the mall tackle area. Um, if you were to construct a second row in a in a lab, I think you wouldn't he wouldn't be too far away from from what Joe McCarthy is at the minute or even what he can become. Um, like, I don't think uh, – it's hard to see, actually, any areas where he's lacking. Um, like, he, he's well able to do, you know, what you might call the dirty work, um, hitting rocks, you know, being physical in a mall, setting the mall. I think he's – for him to receive a ball and set a mall, I think he does a fantastic job at that. You know, really gives um, the Leinster forward you know, a, a platform. um, But outside of that, like, he's athletic. He can, he's well able to carry the ball. He's well able to pass the ball. Um, Yeah, it, it, he's a very exciting prospect, not just for Leinster, but for, for, you know, as we've seen already in in parts for Irish rugby as well. Um, He's definitely one to watch for the future. And, you know, there's big conversations going on around, you know, what will the next World Cup squad look like?
2: Think he could be like a linchpin there, Birch? Yeah, player. I think players are very good judges, especially players who, who train and or, or play with with other players. And and to be fair, to talk about McCarthy for the last year and a half has been you know a, a, an excitement around what he could bring. I think there was obviously a lot of controversy about you know his selection and John Klein's non-selection and John Klein uh, going on to win a World Cup. Medal and uh, absolutely brilliant for 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 John uh, what he did, but I think what we saw the other night is probably what Farrell was thinking about was that carry. I think I think the the, the area that probably Joe McCarthy has the upper hand on on John Klein uh, is is an ability to, to carry well. John Klein is it's not it's not a weakness, but it's certainly not a strength it is where I think it can be an area where Joe McCarthy becomes incredibly. um important to, to teams just making average ball good ball being able to draw in two defenders he moves very well I think he moves better on across the ground than, than maybe Klein Um and uh, we don't produce many second rows of, of that ilk I mean Connacht Connacht went and you know got Joe Joyce back and he's that type of player but I think McCarthy probably more 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 X factor about him but he's been very good for Connacht and he's Irish qualified obviously but came through to you know the English pathways as such um, and you know if you look at the type of player that we we sometimes recruit from you know the Quinn Roos, et etc we've gone off to try and bring that in from abroad um, because they're not they're not basically ten a penny here but we now have one that I think we should be getting excited about and he could become a proper player I, I think like him and him and James Ryan's combination for Leinster if that, if he can bed down that, that second row tiehead lock stop, the spot they're quite similar in some ways, but then you look at he obviously is more bulk than James Ryan, but they're both very physical. Um, they're both mean, and um, then Lenster have enough back row players, and they've Dan Sheen who can kind of give them more carry as well. Um,
0: you brought you brought up Andrew Porter as well a few minutes ago, and we might go looking at that scrum now. And Bert, you were talking about how there was a there was a proper ding dong battle between himself and Stephen Archer at the scrum where there was. Decisions going both ways. And I think to Chris Busby's credit, he did a pretty good job on the night considering how, how messy both players were making it for him. Um, You know, you could look at Andrew Porter and say he was getting dominance over Archer, but you could point out to Porter doing certain things. You could also point out Stephen Archer dropping down a couple of times. Both players were making it very, very messy in that situation. Um, On Porter specifically, though, it does feel like we've come out of the World Cup now with uh, there's a bit of scrutiny around him and his scrummaging technique is being looked at a little bit more and referees are probably a little bit more wary of it. Um, Robin McBride was asked about it during the week and I'll just read out the quotes here. He said, um, uh, we're slowly eroding it, to be honest. He said of the perception that Porter is an illegal scrummager. I don't think we're going to change it overnight. But the more they look at Andrew and the way he's scrummaging, that perception has changed. So, or will change. So it seems to be that from Leinster's side of things anyway, they are confident that referees will come around to to accept what Porter is doing and that his technique is the correct way and it's the legal way. There's probably another school of thought out there though that says Andrew Porter probably needs to adapt more to the referees rather than the referees adapting to him. What way would... Would both
2: of you be looking at this? Yeah, I'm interested in JP's uh, thoughts on it, but I think, I think Porter is a naturally very aggressive loose head, and when you're as aggressive as he is, and you have the power that he has, it often isn't the perfect picture. You know what I mean? Because the the tight head isn't going to give you exactly what you want. You know what I mean? And they're going to twist and turn and and go up and down, um, to try and take away that natural power advantage you have and the biggest thing i think going into this or in the world cup which was starting to maybe get on referee's mind was um was his bind uh and uh, i think he has started to try and rectify that but he can't i'm sorry i would hate to see him become a passive scrummager i don't think it's in his nature um but he does have to basically get i I, look at i thought it was a passing battle i didn't think archer won the battle thought porter overall was probably dominant um but I thought Archer did a great job of locking out certain scrums, and once being able to get the ball away um, and used all his experience. And um, yeah, I, I just I, I don't know. I, there seemed to be so much focus on that side of the scrum. I thought I thought it became a compelling um, part of the game, to be honest. And I thought Busby was was quite good in his communication. And obviously, Leinster tried to fade once, and and you know uh, Archer sometimes his feet. He didn't bring his feet back up, so he got very long-legged. But I thought I—I I, I was very impressed by Archer's ability to stay in a shit position and just hang in there. You know what I mean? Like, I know, but like that's—that's that's part of the battle sometimes. And and uh, JP would notice is that you don't always get it the way you want. But the 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 really dogged props when they get stuck there, they just take their medicine and and hang on for dear life. And I thought at times Porter Porter got underneath. Archer's ribs; there would have been a lot of pain, um. But he managed to lock it out long enough to, and I admire that in him. I, I look; you don't get to be the most capped monster player of all time, um, which Stephen Archer is now, without being um adaptable and, and dogged. There's a lot to be said for experience, JP, isn't there?
1: There is, um, there is. Yeah, going back though to to what we were talking about with regards perception of of Andrew Porter, like. Unfortunately, he has that, you know, perception at the moment. I I, I would imagine that a lot of, um, you know, coaches, opposition coaches, you know, and, and you know, I've, I've seen it done in the past where they might be sending videos to a specific referee, you know, if they knew a referee, they were like, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe counterintelligence. They'd be asking, you know, highlighting this. I don't think he's legal here. I don't think he's legal there. Um, And the referee can't help you know, they might ignore it or they might say they that, you know, but they can't help but go into a game with the perception that, okay, some of those clips that I've seen don't know how legally is. So on and so forth. Um, Like referees have certain cues to look at, you know, in terms of, in terms of what way to referee, in terms of what way to give the penalty. You know, normally what they would try and look at is, you know, if a scrum goes down, is it the tight head's knee to hit the ground first or is it the loose head's elbow? And, you know, in, or driving straight, they would look at, well, if the scrum is crabbing across, are the loose heads out or are they tight with the hooker? Now, with a perception that Andrew Porter has, it might be a case that the referee is scrutinizing him so much to see if there's any infringement there that might not, not necessarily check on the opposition tight head as much. Um, He is an aggressive scrummager, Birch, and that's something that you know every prop or every pass prop maybe everyone except us playing against him loves to see. Um, (laughs) I would, maybe he needs to be a small bit smarter in terms of the scrums he goes after. And what I mean is, you know, maybe inside their own 22, he doesn't need to blow the opposition off the ball. He doesn't need to have that risk where he can, you know, really go after a tight head, but might sacrifice a penalty. That he just develops a clear, concise, you know, perfect pitcher for a ref, so that the ref in that game has a perception built up that hey, look, this is a good pitcher. I like what I'm seeing here, so that if there is a scrum where they do have to go for for where Andrew Porter wants to go full hog at it, um, that he might be afforded a small bit more. He won't be scrutinized as much. I don't know. That's you know my my two cents on it. I don't know. It, it's 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 a tough one. Like refs are given cues to look at. Even past players that are, you know, front rows. We could look at it and give it 50-50 either. It's it, it's a very hard, takes two to tango, I think, maybe is the best way to describe
2: yeah, it. Yeah, 100% You, I agree with you. And I thought, I thought it was just, there was two of them, There's two of them tangoing, uh, uh, to use your word, at the weekend. And uh, it was really, it was really interesting. I think, certainly in that New Zealand game, and obviously, um, that's the biggest game since since Saturday uh, that he's played um, I felt he probably you know and there's only three penalties I think against him but the third one was the one that that obviously uh, gave them the cushion and, and when you hadn't got any change out of the first two that's probably when you just need to say okay I'm not going to convince Wayne Barnes in the course of this game that what I'm doing is illegal or is legal but also the, the last one I think was the one where they had where the where the tight end had no back row beside him you know what I mean so again you're you're a loosehead head prop and you see you see an opportunity to to maybe make a, a game changing uh, turnover or whatever so it's very hard but I agree with you yeah he's going to have to just manage that Robin McBride is is playing the game um, and uh, you know it's just really important that he gets that out there that he is mainly legal you're never going to be totally legal but mainly legal and referees start looking at other areas of the scrum rather than coming in with a um, a, a mindset that I have to watch Andrew. We'll um we'll come back to this game when we're talking about Munster
0: in a little while. I do want to bring Connacht in here though, because that's where they they come in against Leinster this weekend at the sports ground. Now it was um a strange couple of weeks for for Connacht. All told, you know they lose against Edinburgh, which is probably the really frustrating one. Then they get that win down in South Africa against the Sharks, and at the weekend just gone heavily rotated team take 50 points off the off the bulls and are set up now to to play Leinster this weekend when you look at the the teams they've picked over the last couple of weeks JP it does probably feel like they've had half an eye on this game against Leinster at the sports ground this weekend but then on the flip side is can conceding 50 points down in South Africa and t- taking a heavy beating like that take a little bit of the momentum out of you
1: um it's definitely not helpful anyway, Neil. I know that much. But I suppose it's the measure of the team, right? And yeah, look, I, I don't know if 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 you know that's the scenario where you know they had maybe one eye on the on the Leinster game. Um, Bulls have a fantastic home record against Irish opposition, so I don't know if they were very hopeful of getting a the result there. But getting um getting pasted by you know or by um allowing in fifty points. Definitely not. look, it'll be a measure of um where Connacht are at the moment, in my opinion. Um, that they can put a performance together um off the back of, of, of that Bull's defeat. Um I think they'll they'll have to try and forget about it pretty quickly. That's what they want to do, because given Leinster's performance last weekend which they might not have been entirely happy about and there were areas for improvement. That's the scary thing about Leinster. They they beat Munster and there are still areas for improvement. Um I'd imagine that Leinster will be fixing those small inaccuracies and trying to let it out in full force that in the sports grounds um this weekend. So yeah, Lucono'll have to move on from that. They've no option on. they've no option only to move on from it. Can it hurt them? Yeah it definitely takes this thing out of their momentum given the start they had. But um, yeah, they'll have to snap out of it quick enough.
0: What um are there areas in Leinster's game burst that you think Connex can expose this week?
1: Yeah, look, I think
2: Leinster's defense and and obviously um there is going to be a change of mindset there. Um, and Nina Barr is a brilliant defense coach. Um, but as he changes that, like it'd be a miracle if it was perfect in a week. You know what I mean? Um, because it's going to be a pretty drastic. Change. And I think the, we saw for the Craig Casey try, like there was nearly confusion in terms of the system. Because if you're playing the the, the blitz defense that the, the box play, and, and I don't know, Nina Barr wasn't there last week, but effectively, Gary jumped out of the line. Sorry, Robbie jumped out of the line to try and hit Scanlon. Scanlon got the ball away. Gary tried to jump and didn't make the tackle on Zebo. Um, but it's not, if, the, if that was the box, there'd be a winger up very high as well. So Gary wouldn't have to be. As, uh, as wide, you know what I mean? So, you're basically coming from further out to in. So, you can effectively have two players on Zeebo rather than just Gary. So, you know, obviously, Nina Barr will probably start to implement that this week. But sometimes it takes maybe six, seven weeks where you're caught in, in two systems while you totally get comfortable with what the other system looks like. So, Connors are going to have to hope that that's the case and that there is weaknesses. And the Lens defence hasn't been brilliant for... I would say, a long time. I know they're, it's just their attack is so good. Mm. Um, and also, they're very lucky that a lot of teams throw the match effectively because they come to the RDS um, without any real hope or, or belief of winning it. you know what I mean? So, Which is great by Leinster, and they've earned that right. But um, it doesn't help them, or hasn't helped them win trophies. So there's definitely an area there to be improved upon. And I don't think it'll be a quick fix. And I think Connacht have the attack to... to to ask questions of that and, and see how quickly they've all learned their, their new roles. Um, and that has to be the area that they 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 back themselves to to be a core part to trying to get a result. Yeah, and the,
0: the to add to it then as well, you've you've comics who are, are going to be much changed from the weekend. Matt Hansen's gonna be in there. You imagine Tom Farrell's gonna to be back in the center, uh, they'll have more reinforcements, or Calen Blade is gonna be starting the game. Colin Riley picked up an injury and Blade had been playing off the bench over the last couple of weeks. So Keen Prendergast is going to be back and available again, JP. So there have been, I think, like a lot of teams over these few weeks because we're in a week-on-week a week right through to the middle of January without a break. They've been fairly selective over their matchday squads and their starting 15s and and carefully kind of tallying up the minutes. And, you know, if they can, if they can get a result against Leinster this weekend... They're in an absolutely cracking position, and you have to start talking about them as as proper contenders. I know it's a big if if they beat Leinster this weekend.
1: Yeah, um, like it's going to be a tall ask. Um, Like we've seen Connacht throughout the course of this season apply themselves um, in bursts. You know, and you know they might have a great like I've yet to see an eighty minute um, full performance from Mm. Connacht. Like when they when they when they apply themselves and when they get their game plan right. And execute what they're trying to do. Yeah, I think they're like, am not trying to be biased here, but they're one of the best teams to look at in the league. In oh, terms they are. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. But the question I would have is, an eight, an eighty performance, an eighty minute performance is what will be required against Leinster. Um, they will need to, like, M- Munster. I think let Leinster off the hook when they actually had him on the rack. Um, I think Stephen Archer getting held up, like. I think that was a massive moment in the game, you know, a huge moment in the game. If Connacht want to beat Leinster, um, they're going to have to execute on every opportunity that they have, as well as trying to shut Leinster down at the same time. It's a tall ask, and it will require the eighty-minute performance uh, to do it. Um, anything so that, you know, I'd be giving it to Leinster. It'll be interesting enough as well to see what, you know, what the actual team will be that Leinster sends down. Um, you know, will they have one eye on, on their fixture the following week, which is Larry Yeah, Exactly, exactly. And I know that they'll definitely want to win there, they'll definitely be targeting that fixture. So it, it's a very interesting contest for for a number of reasons, Neil.
0: Um, let's come back to Munster then and talk specifically about them because most of what we did over that game was, was around Leinster. But, um, Birch granted they lost, but Jack Crowley. Looks the real deal now at this stage, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, look, that was like he was excellent the week before against the Stormers. Um, he's just tough as nails, but he has all the the the, the silky bits as well. Um, he's getting a chance to goal kick. Um, you know, every week now, uh, and because fairness, like he, he had to fight to get his position with Healy and and Joey, but now he's got us. He's obviously going to the Irish team, and like honestly, looking at him on on Saturday, Saturday night you have no fear for him being the starting 10 for Ireland and you also get the sense that Munster can build a team around him Um, and they're starting to do that and they backed Furnace the Round 3 and Prendergast they, they basically they nailed a foot to the mast last year that he was the man and and obviously that that led into Healy leaving and they backed him ahead of Joey and, and Joey went to Joey go to South Africa and didn't get any game time you know it was very much let him, let him develop make sure he knows that we, we trust him and, yeah, Andy Farr was at the game and he, I think he would have been really happy seeing Crowley in a match of that intensity do what he did. And also, you know, I said it earlier, I think Frawley as well um, might just have more upside than than Ross Byrne, um in terms of athleticism, a little bit younger. Um, and, yeah, might be just more natural ball in hand, maybe in terms of being a threat himself. Uh, I thought he had a very positive introduction as well. All areas of his games, defence, his line kicking. Uh, his goal kicking, his his ability to get a backline move, and we're positive. So, yeah, we we obviously have Harry. We've got Sam Prendergast We've JJ. We've Carty Um, uh, you know, that are playing this weekend. We've we've uh, Flannery now getting some game time up in Ulster. Mm. Um, so you know, we're, we're in it, and Joey obviously injured, but, but it mightn't be as much of a uh, a worry as maybe it looked six months ago about who would replace Johnny. And, like, without doing anything
0: wrong. Ross Byrne has found himself in a tricky situation now with this injury landing at a pretty brutal time, Jippy.
1: Yeah, and look, that's just uh that's just the nature of, of you know the game. Um like it'd be interesting to see who starts 10 against Connacht, um, and who'll start ten against La Rochelle. Um, I don't think I, further to what Birch was saying there, I think Frawley had a fantastic game. Um he just looks comfortable on the ball and for a lad that hasn't got much game time, he just comes onto the pitch and slots into the into the system perfectly well. Knows it inside out. Um, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't imagine that he would have got many, many reps within that system. So it was, it was, you know, as much a mental challenge for him to come in and just just get the the Leinster machine going. Um, yeah, it's 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 um. It'd be interesting to see if he starts against Connacht or if they go with maybe. Harry or, or Sam Harry Byrne or, or Sam Prendergast. Um but for Ross, yeah, it, it is very difficult. But it I think Frawley might have been in a similar scenario himself. Like he's struggled a good bit with injury over the last number of years and, you know, maybe in his in his own mind hasn't put a foot wrong, but it's just kind of the rootless nature of what what it is to be a Leinster rugby player. I mean, like you're you're injured or someone there is good um to take your place and that internal pressure there from the younger players that come through. Like they realise who they're playing for, they realise the, the players that are there. So when they do get a chance, um they want to capitalize capitalise on it to the to the fullest. Um like that makes for a very powerful um, you know, uh, rugby environment where everyone wants to succeed and when they get a chance they do their best to do it. So yeah, look, probably, probably will get his chance, you know, whether it's this week or next week. Um it's up to him to, supposed to hold on to the jersey.
0: Yeah it's a good point on Frawley actually because 12 months ago he actually did seem like the the heir apparent Birch for potentially long term number 10 he was starting for, for Ireland A he was involved in that squad picks up a knee injury against Ireland A and only gets back into the squad at the tail end of the Six Nations so there's there's sliding doors all over the place and you know that injury probably led to Jack Crowley getting the that run against Australia a few weeks later so um so many different uh small little moments having a big impact on other people.
2: Yeah, well the thing is to is to take a chance. And like I think to be fair, if you look at Frawley's career, whether he's played center, fullback, or ten for Leinster, we've always been impressed by him, but that was probably the biggest occasion. Now Johnny's gone, we're probably even more interested because when Johnny was there, you just knew he was number one. So uh you'd have small chats around who might succeed him. Um but I think he's always taken his chance, and he was in the Irish squad till very till quite late in the summer. Um, Farrell rates him, knows about him. He's obviously a utility back, but there may be just a, an argument now that let him let him off, let him play. Oh, I think he should play this week. I think he should play this week. He deserves to play, and um, uh, and I'm not sure. I know Ross is out for this week, but yeah, he might be a bad fellow to go to La Rochelle as well. Um, back on Munster. News
0: since the game. Jean Klein is among those signing a new contract uh, a couple of days ago. Two more years of him, considering there were there were genuine worries uh, around a lot of Munster fans, Birch, and confusion, I think, as well, just around what the long-term future for him was going to be since he was non-Irish qualified. Graham Rountree at the start of the month even admitted himself that um, it did complicate things when... Klein went back playing rugby with South Africa because he was no longer an NIQ player. Um, and he admitted as well yesterday there were other clubs sniffing around. That's a massive bit of business for Munster to to get another two years of of Jean Klein.
2: Yeah, it's it's brilliant. I'm actually delighted for him because you know uh, my understanding was he had made plans to to make Limerick his his home long term. And you know, that was certainly very much on his mind. And um obviously then he gets a chance to play for South Africa because he hasn't got picked for Ireland. And I would have hated him for that to be taken away from him because he's been a brilliant servant to, uh, to Munster and, um, and they really value him and and and, and love him. And, and they're allowed, I think it's good by the RFU to allow them to make that choice. You know what I mean? I, I, uh, like effectively they should have autonomy over what foreign player um, they use. And, they could have gone to the market and got a different second row or whatever, but not be as sure he was going to fit into the environment and and be as as valuable a member of the uh, address room as, as Klein is. So, um, it's great. Obviously, it means you're pretty sure RG will be gone. Um, and uh, but that's that's okay. I think RG, obviously, he's been um uh, injured a lot, but he did his part. He helped him get over the line and win a trophy, right? So, and there's been lots of foreign players who've come uh who've come over the last 10-12 years and haven't been able to do that. So um it's unlucky on him. Uh but you know obviously he'll hopefully get back and have a have a role this season. Um and yeah for Klein it's uh I think it's a positive by Munster that they're able to look after him and he obviously wanted to stay and there would have been other clubs looking at him but a good piece of business and it's great for him to have it done early as well and, and he can now concentrate on, on doing it on the field.
0: Yeah, particularly the the early nature of it. I've one more question for that I'll put to both of you around Munster before we uh, we move on to Ulster. Who should the new Munster captain be?
1: Um, Jackie. yeah, I don't know. There's there, like there's plenty of candidates within that squad. Um, I'm I don't know if it's a curveball, but I think Jack Crowley should be made captain. Um, like he's a young ten. Yeah, they have big aspirations for him. Um. And you know they're they're valid, they're very valid aspirations given the performances we've seen. I would give him the captaincy to try and, you know, give him a taste of. If you look at what what Johnny Sexton done um, for Ireland, he's the leader, the general. Um, I don't think it would be any harm to give Jack Crowley the that captaincy to maybe put him into that kind of mould, you know, so that it you know it might not. Might work against him in terms. Of it's another something else that he needs to concentrate on. Like he's still a young player, um, but if I was to pick a captain, yeah, I I think I'd give it to Jack Crowley. Um, I don't. I'd like to see him develop more as a leader, more as a voice, more as a decision maker. And like the reality of it is, there's plenty of experienced, um, experienced forward on the pitch that you know he can he can work well with. Um, yeah, that's. That's probably who my my choice would be. I don't know. It might be a bit off the mark, but that's who I go with.
0: Well, Graham Roundtree hasn't. He's never been afraid since he came to Munster of putting young players in uncomfortable environments and promoting them maybe a little bit earlier than a lot of people would have. Birch, who'd be getting your vote? Yeah, it's not, not bad. So much, shit. By the way, by the way, not so much. Who do you think will Roundtree give it to?
2: I want to know who do you think yeah. should have it for first time in this pod, I'm actually not going to answer that. I actually, I've been mean, thinking about it there. I, I like, I like JP's reasoning. I don't know. I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about them as, as individuals. I type, Byrne would come to my mind. I think he's, he's phenomenally impressive for them. He's a quietish guy, but he's gone to Munster and, and being a huge part of that. Uh, he leads from the front. Obviously he's a world-class player. Um, I wouldn't have any issue with Crowley. I think, I think he has something, um really special on and off the field. Um, and I don't think it would it would hamper him in any way. But yeah, I I didn't I, I I might not read the memo. I might not read the question. Uh, whatever. But uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't any strong preference. But I I think I trust Roundtree and and those coaches. I think they've made a lot of really smart decisions. Um, to get it right and probably, I think they should go for someone who's going to be around for a while. You know, um, is going to be around for maybe the next four or five years and let them grow into it. And nurture that rather than just a, a stopgap, you know. Um but and I, I think they will do that.
0: Yeah, and it's it's mad even as he pointed it out himself. He's the he's the first Munster coach for ten years who's had to actually make this decision. Yeah. So he may as well spend a bit of time and make sure he has the, the right fella. So that's uh that's Munster. They're taking on the Glasgow Warriors Musgrave Park this Friday night, and we'll finish off talking about Ulster. They were beaten by Glasgow at the weekend, and Birch started well in that match. Given the, the squad they had sent over to Glasgow though, it did always seem like it was going to be uh it was going to be tough to maintain a performance like that for eighty minutes. There was there were very, very experienced players out there, but there was a lot of inexperienced players out there and Glasgow is as tough a place as it as it is to go.
2: Yeah, I think Ulster have already used over forty players. Um they've really got through them and they weren't at their best in terms of you know, full availability or full strength. Uh went fourteen in up, I think, and think you think from there well we can, you know, we can we can get a big win here. But I started to get ripped apart pretty easily. Um and Glasgow are are very hard to beat over there. Frankel Smith hasn't playing a, a really good band of rugby, but it's not like it's kind of a bit like Scotland where it looks really good, but if you actually stand up to it and um, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's not foolproof. And I think Wolster will be disappointed in the end with how they fell away. Dan McFarland was quite uh, disappointed with refereeing. He felt that was a big factor in it. But I think there's other things Ulster can control a little bit better and um you know, they John Bell is a big task there. I mean, um there doesn't seem to be that desire to, to defend um that there is in other provinces. Uh and there's a lot of days where they're quite poor, so I find, or easy breakdown. So that's the big thing for them. Their line of wall is very strong. At times, their attacking game can be good. They probably still need to find out who's going to be their 10. Um, and obviously, they're a little bit unlucky. They had an injury in the warm-up, and Doka ended up having to play uh, at the end. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see Ulster... In my opinion, they're the weakest of the four at the moment. Um, I think Connacht have, have more potential to, to, to grow this season, whereas I think Ulster may be a little bit stagnant. Four
0: four wins out of six so far. So JP, they are looking in a reasonable place in the table. But if you look at the fixtures as well, they probably have had a a decent run of it. You know they've had you know they started out against Debra. Um, they were at home against the Lions as well. Edinburgh this weekend, like if Edinburgh were to go to Belfast and and pull off a bit of an upset, which they haven't really done on the road in in quite some time. It would leave Ulster in a pretty uninspiring position.
1: Yeah. Um, with, with some tough
0: games to come, you know?
1: Yeah, like it's... Like we saw a similar performance. Um, like I was at the, the ulster Connor game. Like Ulster didn't have the strongest team out that day either. Um, but we're still able to get a good lead in the first half. Um, Connor came back on that same day, saw something similar against against Glasgow. It's it's not one specific area that they're that they're being beaten in, if that makes sense. So, like we saw, like and look, Glasgow are an exceptional team. They've loads of strings to their bow. Um, they can cut you whatever way they want, really. Um, we saw them do it through a mall. mall. Um, we saw them, you know, put down through the through the wide channels as well towards the back end of the game. I think the and then you know they can they can do it with pick and goes. Um, the, the let in tries through picking goals as well. I it, it's more like Birch talked about it, it, it like it, it's more the mentality, the more their doggedness to, to defend. Um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to put a finger on it, Neil. It's hard to put a finger on it. Like, there is, yeah, there is a bit of work to be done there. Um, but I'm not, yeah, if Edinburgh went over and got a result again against Ulster or against Ulster. Um, they would be taking some long looks at them, above than uh, Kingsman.
0: Yeah, and they're they're heading in now into the the stage of the season stage of the season that ultimately uh, broke them last year. Birch when they they went on that horror run through December and January. Um, the games are only getting harder from pretty much this point on. Once you get into Europe, Interpros over Christmas, more Europe. Then after that, like they need to navigate this period pretty well. Yeah.
2: I think, yeah, Kitschhoff obviously has to deliver from the start, you know, um, has to make a big impact. I think Dave viewers as well. I, I, think, um, I think his ability to carry uh, and carry well and be abrasive is kind of what they need. So I think he was probably a good recruit. Um, but, yeah, like the development stuff is is kind of done. I mean, you know, those those youngsters that we've we been kind of waiting for to come true have all had ample game time now and the coaching staff is pretty settled. Um, obviously, this is John Bell's second year with them. Uh, and the rest are all constant. Uh, you'd expect more, you know. They're 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 a well-funded province. Obviously, they would probably like a little bit more money, but they are well-funded in comparison to what they're up against in the URC, Bar, Munster, Leinster. Um, so they're going to have to deliver. And, and yeah, four from six looks great. Um, it looks fine, but I think there's tough for challenges ahead. And and I haven't been convinced so far that they're going to step up to the mark. Yeah.
0: Interesting to see this weekend. That's where we will leave it, guys. We're all out of time. Birch, thanks a million for joining us as always. JP, thanks for coming on. We'll get you on again soon enough. Uh, just a reminder: Connacht against Leinster is live on RT Two and RT Player this Saturday evening, and live radio commentary as well on RT Radio One Extra. TV coverage underway from seven o'clock. Kickoff is seven thirty-five, and we'll be back on the podcast this time next week, fellas. Thanks a million. Thanks.
2: Thanks,
0: Neil. See you-